Well, thank you, Mike, so much. Thank you for having me here tonight. What a pleasure it is to be here. I think from the beginning, Mike and I have just had a camaraderie. It's just a natural camaraderie that immediately developed between us. I didn't know all of the lingo that I have come to know now. Uh, I just preached the Word of God to various situations. I've always believed that you do not take your experience to the Bible and interpret the Bible by your experience, but that you bring the Bible to your experience and that you interpret your experience by the Bible. I don't think it matters what your experience is. How does it measure up with the Word of God? What does the Word of God have to say about your experience? Experience will oftentimes get us in trouble. It is the Word of God that keeps us on the straight path, that keeps us from veering off the highway and keeping between the lines. Tom Askell, whom I just met for the first time tonight, mentioned the Southern Baptist Convention last year in Birmingham, Alabama. My wife and I were there. Rick, you were there. Uh, one of our members who happens to be here tonight, and thank you and Linda and for several others from Countryside Baptists who have come tonight. One of our pastoral staff members is here. Another was scheduled to be here, but is uh, doing a funeral uh, this very night in Tennessee, and so he could not make it as he had planned. But during that convention, the president of the convention, J.D. Greer, had several people on the platform interviewing them. I did not know at the moment what to call it, but I knew I was not comfortable with it. I later came to realize that they were talking about critical race theory. And I knew instantaneously that my heart did not resonate with that, nor the Word of God. Just a few weeks ago, Ronnie Floyd, who is the president of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, did a podcast online in which he interviewed four pastors. And, and the prequel to it said, you don't want to miss what you are about to hear. So I tuned in to the live broadcast via the internet. The first three pastors did not have anything to say that I thought was innocuous or anything to say that I thought was what I might phrase as anti-biblical. But the fourth man in his interview, in his comment said this, and I quote, What we need today are not white preachers preaching black theology. What we need today are not black preachers preaching white theology. What we need today are black preachers preaching black theology. I came away from that viewing with this kind of summary statement. So now, 
John 3.16 means one thing for the white man, and it means something else entirely for the black man. Folks, that does not wash with me. I don't care if you are black or white, yellow or brown. I don't care if you're purple or green. It is not what we believe. It is what God's Word says. God's Word speaks to and reaches out to every people group in the world. And may I suggest to you that there is only one race across the globe. That is the human race. And the reason I know that is because every one of us can trace our origins back to the same mother. We all have the same mother. Eve is our mother when you just go back through the centuries. And Adam is our father. That means that Daryl and I are brothers. We have the same mama. That means that I have the same mother and share the same mother with anyone and everyone if they are brown or white or whatever it is. What is happening today, of course, as you know, is the dividing up of all the people groups and pitting them together. When I was growing up, Mixing the races was key and was important. Blacks and whites coming together. But now that has been turned on its head. It is separating blacks from whites and whites from blacks and straights from gays and gays from straights and whatever other splinter groups you want to call it out there. And so if we were having the kind of... Uh, conference today that would appeal to the secular world, we'd have our uh, LBGTQ ABCD group right over here, and then we would have our black group here, and we'd have our white group over here, and then we would have our Asians over here, and then we'd have our Russians over here. That is not biblical. It is not what the Bible calls for, and yet it is what we are being taught and told today and what we are beginning to experience in our society. If you have a Bible, I hope you'll turn with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, whether it is a paper Bible or an electronic Bible, either way is fine with me. We're going to start off with uh, just verse 5, but we'll be covering a number of verses here tonight. And I hope that you will see that the Word of God indeed addresses all of these issues that we are facing today. And I, I, I'm really sorrowful that the uh, one who was supposed to be here tonight to speak to you was unable to be here. But I said to my wife, well, I guess God penciled me in. So if you have difficulty with that, you'll just have to have difficulty with it, but I do hope you'll be blessed. Ezekiel said to Judah in verse 5 of chapter 18, If a man is righteous and practice, practices justice and righteousness. The term social justice 
has covered the airwaves lately like salt covers a carton of McDonald's french fries. You can't touch any part of any fry without encountering salt. And so that's the way it's been in our nation recently. With the news media, social media, television, radio programming, business advertising, as well as private conversations, political forums, all of these groups ad nauseum. So I looked up a few definitions of the term, which I share with you now. Investopedia.com says that social justice is a concept holding that all people should have equal access to wealth, health, well-being, privileges, and opportunity. Merriam-Webster.com defines social justice as a state or doctrine of egalitarianism. Definitions.uslegal.com gives social justice this meaning. Social justice is justice that follows the principle that all individual groups are entitled to fair and impartial treatment. Social justice attempts to prevent human rights abuses. Social justice is based on notions of equality and equal opportunity in society. It focuses on the full and equal participation of all citizens in economic, social, and political aspects of the nation. Now our time here tonight is not meant to discuss the various modern ideas about social justice. But rather I would say to you that our time here tonight will be spent examining the biblical idea of social justice, which actually starts us off at a place that could be considered awkward. Why? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. Here's one. The word social does not appear in the Bible. Not even once. Two. While the word justice appears in the Bible no less than 130 times, it only appears twice with a modifier. Once in Ezekiel chapter 18, which we are going to read in just a few moments, and then again in the book of Zechariah. The modifier on those occasions is the word true. True justice. Now, on 30 occasions in Scripture, the word translated justice is linked to a partner. In the Bible, justice is justice, and it covers all circumstances and applies to all people regardless of color or creed. The term itself refers to the fair treatment of all people without reference to any thing else. Justice cannot guarantee ultimate outcomes. Justice cannot guarantee wealth. Justice cannot guarantee health. Justice cannot guarantee the full participation of all people in all things equally. What justice does is to allow a person to give it his or her best shot hopefully with fair treatment. 
In case you haven't figured it out, however, not everybody is going to make the football team. Not everybody is going to be a millionaire. Not everybody is going to be a university professor. Not everybody is going to be president of the United States. Not everybody is going to attend Harvard, which may be a good thing in today's world. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never, ever in my life gotten everything I wanted. But watch this. Justice is not about getting everything you want. There are a zillion factors that come into play none of which should have anything to do with the color of a person's skin. Now let's get back to the biblical idea of justice. As with Genesis 18, 19, Ezekiel places justice in partnership with righteousness. It is not righteousness alone. It is not justice alone. It is righteousness and justice. And that little conjunction links these two words, these two ideas, these two concepts, so that they cannot be separated. They are indissolubly connected. You cannot have one without the other. There is no real justice if that justice is not led by righteousness. And there is no true righteousness if that righteousness does not result in justice. Now in America today, there are a lot of, there's a lot of talk about justice, but there is no talk about righteousness. To be more specific, there are mammoth calls for social justice in our nation but no mention of righteousness. You will not hear it on CNN. You will not hear it on MSNBC. You are not going to hear it even on Fox News. Never are these two concepts brought together. But you find them indissolubly linked in the Bible. Biblically speaking, there is a huge difference between what is currently referred to as social justice and what the Bible refers to as justice and righteousness. Uh, in 2015, I had the opportunity to speak at the, the Clearwater uh, City celebration for Martin Luther King's birthday. I was going to be the featured speaker that day. I figured I would have only one shot to speak at an event like this. I was going to do everything I could to make it count for as much as I could. And in fact, on that occasion, we talked about calls for justice, but no calls for righteousness. For example, justice cannot be true justice if those who were calling for justice then turn around and kill police officers. Justice cannot be true justice if the rioters then turn around and burn businesses and destroy homes. They are calling for justice without righteousness. 
They are calling for justice, but to hell with everybody else that it impacts. Well, tonight, I want us to spend a few moments using Ezekiel 18.5 as the centerpiece of all that I want to say while examining what comes right before it and then what comes after it. So take a look at verses 1 through 3 of Ezekiel 18. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Saying the fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. It seems that there were those among Ezekiel's listeners who blamed their present predicament of coming judgment on their ancestors. They said something like this, if it weren't for our forebears, things would be better for me now. It is our ancestors' actions and lifestyles that have caused me to be where I am now. I want you to notice God's response in verse 4 or verse 3. As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. In other words, cease using the choices and lifestyles and decisions of those who has come before as excuses for your present predicaments and behavior. Everyone is individually responsible for their choices and their lifestyles as well as their decisions. God is saying that no one among you is to point to anyone else with fingers of accusation and say it's all your fault. Now let's add verse 4. Behold, all Souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. Now, how might we say this today? All lives are mine, says God, and all lives matter. Now I've heard more than one person say, until black lives matter, no lives matter. Do you realize how anti-God and anti-Bible that is? Here's what I would say. Until all lives matter, there will be that every other life will be in danger. If you do not value my life, you are placing my life in danger. If I do not value your life, I am placing your life in danger. Until all lives matter, then all lives are in danger. The Scripture gives us no dichotomy. It is not black and white. It is not red or yellow. All people belong to God. They do not belong to themselves, but they belong to God. It is not just... Black lives that matter. It's not just blue lives that matter. It's not just white lives that matter. When one group pulls away 
from the single singular human race created by God, then that group sets forth the belief that they alone are of importance and that they alone are to be treated differently than others. In the end, this leads to Nazi-like cruelty, fascist-like dictatorships, and communist-like control. All people belong to God and no one else. That and that alone is why others are to be treated with dignity and favor. It has nothing to do with the color, but only with the Creator. And back when all this stuff started in uh, Minneapolis with George Floyd, the issue is not that he was a black man, but that he was a man. And until we start talking about people as men and women without reference to color, all of this inflammatory rioting and conversations will continue to persist. Let's pick up with verse 5. If a man is justice, if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness, and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period, if a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing, if he does not lend money at interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord God. Then following verse 5, Ezekiel sets forth some detailed ideas about justice. What do those ideas include? They include sexual boundaries. They include treating others as you want to be treated. They include generosity. They include protection for the possessions of others. They include kindness. They include care for the poor. They include fair business dealings. They include an abhorrence of evil. They include being fair and equitable in every dispute. This man, says Ezekiel, will know the favor of God. And this man stands accountable to God for the way he lives his life and how his life has impacted others. Verse 10 then provides us with a rather shocking scenario. Let's read it. Then he, that is the righteous father, may have a violent son who sheds blood 
And who does any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not do any of these things, that is, he even eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore a pledge, but lifts up his eyes to the idols and commits abomination. He lends money on interest and takes increase. Will he live? He will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. Though this man had parents who raised him correctly, the father is held guiltless. That is good news for godly parents who happen to have raised children who made poor choices. As a pastor of 45 years, I cannot tell you how many times I've sat in a room with a mama and a daddy whose child went berserk in their lifestyle. And every one of them suffering from this idea that somehow though they strived with all of their heart to raise this child in the right way, they still made Terrible, horrible choices. And sometimes those choices cost them their lives. Do you know what this also shows us? It shows us that good environments cannot guarantee outcomes for children. Even if we altered the environment for everyone in America so that they all have the same advantages. By the way, I do not like the term privilege. I like the term much better, opportunity. None of us have privilege. Some of us have opportunities, and some of us have greater or more opportunities than others. But you can take a man who has all the opportunities at his disposal and he still wrecks his life. On the other hand, you can take a man or a woman who has none of the opportunities that his white neighbor may have had and yet he or she becomes a stellar example of achievement and a model citizen for their neighbors to follow. Good environments cannot guarantee outcomes for children. So we alter the environment so that all the children have all the advantages, outcomes of wealth and health and position. And yet none of those things can be guaranteed. Now let's pick up with verse 14. Now behold. By the way, behold in South Georgia is translated translated like this. Now listen up. Don't miss this. Most of us don't use the word behold. Have you ever used the word behold? Have you ever gone into a room and said behold? Most of us don't do that. We go into a room and say, man, I've got something you want to hear. Listen to this. And every time you see that word behold in Scripture, that's the idea. Now behold, listen up. He has a son, this righteous father, 
who has observed, or rather this unrighteous father, who has observed all his father's sins which he committed. And observing does not do likewise. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or oppress anyone or retain a pledge or commit robbery. But he gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his, he keeps his hand from the poor, does not take interest or increase, but executes my ordinances and walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. While family life matters, it does not mean that a child cannot climb out of the gutter simply because his or her parents inhabited those gutters. While the father will be held accountable for his own failures, the son cannot use the father as an excuse for wrongdoing. Now, I've been in pastoral work for decades. And one of the surprises are the number of adult children who come into my office at the age of 40 or 50 or 60 or even 70 and have mama-daddy issues. It would be a shock to you. How many people, even in this room, I know there are some who were suffering from mama issues and daddy issues. But many adult children have overcome a poor environment. Examples abound. Now let me show you something. I am responsible to do right things and make right decisions. And I am responsible to treat others fairly. I, as a believer, am under obligation to give other people fair treatment. Now, it's difficult for many in our society to do that. We have politicians who, because they are rich and because they have judges in their pockets, get away with things that other people would spend the rest of their lives in jail. That is not fair treatment. They treat the lesser person one way, the greater person another way. That is not biblical. And we should work against that kind of treatment. What if I have been treated unfairly? What if I have been unfairly treated for a long time? What then? Are you listening? I am still responsible to do right things and make wise decisions, and I am still responsible to treat others fairly. Listen to some of our political pundits. Listen to some of our candidates who will be up for election in just a handful of weeks. How they are excusing the rioters who have been unfairly treated for so long. By the way, most of those people are white people who never had a difficulty with poverty or any, any other thing like that in their lives. 
But even if people have been treated the worst, you know what the Bible says? You're still responsible to do right things. You're still responsible to make wise decisions. You're still responsible to treat other people fairly. I am under obligation to give others equitable treatment without prejudice. This is the biblical standard at all times and in all places for all individuals. I could be wrong, but didn't someone once say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Have you ever tried to counsel a husband and wife who are going down for the sixth or seventh time? And they're coming by to see you just so they can say, well, I went to see the preacher. Do you know how I usually start off my conversation with them? How would it help this situation if both of you started to act like Christians? That ought to be the end of the counseling session. But it is not. The same standard at all times, in all places, for all individuals. Loving your enemies, doing good to those who hate you, and pray for those who persecute you. When someone is treated unfairly, is the answer to steal? Is the answer to kill? Is the answer to terrorize? When someone is treated unfairly, is the answer to treat them unfairly right back? When someone is treated unfairly, is the answer to strip them of their personal opinions, obliterate their jobs, and threaten them with destruction if they disagree? Is that the answer? Now, I'm going to mention just five institutions very quickly that we must preserve. The first is the family. The nuclear family is the first institution established by God. There are people who have sought to tear apart the nuclear family for decades. Do you remember under the Johnson administration back in the mid-60s? when he began the Great Society, and we're going to give money to all these mamas who are having children out of wedlock, however, they cannot be married. Did you know that's one of the most destructive things our government has ever done? And millions of young black men have been raised in America since 1964 who have not had a daddy in the home, your tax dollars at work. America and its young people are begging for the nuclear family. The second institution is the church. I'm preaching right now through the book of Acts, a series entitled, The Movement Began. Or the movement begins and we, we looked at early America and how early America began. And that everywhere colonies were established, churches were established along with them. And Christianity became the accepted 
perfected morality and foundation for the nation. It was out of the church that came hospitals. It was out of the church that came educational institutions. It was out of the church that came care for the orphans. And now all of that's been turned over to the government. The church is still essential and still has an intricately important place in America. Here's the third institution. Personal responsibility. The left is now teaching that people are not responsible for their actions and their decisions, but rather we can understand why they're being so destructive. Bless their hearts. And finally, justice for all. That is an institution. Justice for the politician. Justice for the sanitation worker. It should be the same. And if it is not the same, then there is no true justice. It takes not only justice, but it takes righteousness. Those cannot be separated. And this fight will not be won until those two ideas are cemented together within the fabric of our society. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for the opportunity to stand in this place tonight and expound Your Word. It is not my Word. It is not my idea. It is Your Word, it is Your idea, it is Your truth. And it was not only meant thousands of years ago to the people of Judah. It is meant even for us today. And if we believe as our forebears believe that we are alike to the nation, as Ronald Reagan often mentioned that phrase, we are a light to the nations, then Lord, the world will continue to suffer. Because our world at the moment is without justice. It is without righteousness. And there are those who were tearing at the bridle to take us into oblivion. To replace it with what? Poverty. Injustice. Favoritism. The obliteration of the church. The silencing of Christians all over the world. The lifting up of people who call evil good and good evil. That is all that awaits us. 
We believe that what we are talking about tonight is part of the only answers that we have for our nation. We are careening toward self-destruction. And I am praying that is what is what has gone on here tonight, what is going on in our lives, what is going on in our churches, that somehow from our pulpits and from our websites and from our efforts, that justice and righteousness will ring forth as you declared, even to our Father Abraham. Your command to him is your command to us. May we never be ashamed and may we be willing to pay whatever price to preserve what has been a great nation, a city set on a hill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.